spoke. Um, so I, so we're re-speaking. I am. So can we, I want to first start with prayer and just pray that God will help each and every one of us to open our hearts. Seed will fall. It's God's word. And I'm, I really am praying for God to, that the, that seed will be implanted up into the soil of our heart and be, and it will grow. So let's pray. Lord, have your way tonight in this service. I pray for each and every one of us. God, I speak to every situation that each of us are going through tonight. God, in our homes and in our lives and our jobs and whatever the situations may be. I pray that you will have your way and accomplish everything that you have come to do. God, even though it's a Wednesday night, I am praying that every one of us, God, will open our hearts and our ears to hear those situations that we struggle with, the fears, the, the beliefs that we have about our world and ourselves. God, I pray that tonight you will reveal them to us, God, and we will tear down these strongholds once and for all. In Jesus' name we pray. Um, I'm going to start in Job chapter 4. I, I have to be honest, when I started studying for this, I had never really, not that I hadn't seen the scripture before, but it hit me in a new way, and I love how the Word of God can do that. Um, Job 4, 12 through 15, it says, Now a word was secretly brought to me, and my ear received a whisper of it. In disquieting thoughts from the visions of the night, when deep sleep falls on men, fear came upon me and trembling, which made all of my bones shake. Then a spirit passed before my face, and the hair on my body stood up. If that is not anxiety at its worst, I don't know what is. 2 Corinthians 10, 4 through 6 says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds and casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So I've affectionately called this the casting down of strongholds. After being in full-time ministry for what I believe is going on 29 years-ish, um, meaning we've been married almost 29 years, but almost 29 years. I have seen many individuals start this life of living for God. They've, many have been on that finish line. The gun has started, it's been shot, and bam, they go running. Many, some I see at the, you know, well, we haven't actually finished it out yet, but many continue on living for God, and they never seem to struggle, while others um, struggle, and some get a get victory over things and some never do. And it frustrates me on how and why that is. While I don't claim that I have all the answers here tonight, I do believe that I do have some understanding on why um, some enter into the promised land and partake of the many promises that God has for them, while others just wander in circles for 40 years. Some have heard the lies of the enemy, they've rebuked them and sent them on their way, while others have heard the same prepackaged lies and have opened the door to their mind and allowed those lies to gain a foothold or a stronghold in their brain. Where now those lies control their thoughts, their feelings, their behaviors, and thus the results of their life. Looking a little closer at 2 Corinthians 10 and 4, I want to focus on for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God to the pulling down of strongholds. In this passage, if we're being instructed to pull down a stronghold, I think we kind of should know what a stronghold is. So I took a little bit from what my husband preached. I don't know. I think it was on a Sunday morning a couple weeks ago. Um, the word that Paul used here to describe a stronghold was a fortified military fortress. 
Various translations explain it or expound on it by stating that through Christ we have the power to destroy strongholds or that we are divinely empowered for the demolition of strongholds. 2 Corinthians 10 and 4, however, is not talking about physical strongholds in the literal sense, as we might think as in time of warfare. The translation that most accurately captures the full purpose of 2 Corinthians 10 and 4 is the New Living Translation, which states, We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. The reason that this is the most accurate is because the only time in the Greek history the only time in Greek history or in the word, this word is used in the New Testament. And since the greater context of the whole scripture reveals we are not obviously in a physical battle, the strongholds are the fortresses in our mind or in our imaginations. So in other words, strongholds are lies that we allow ourselves to believe about ourselves, God, others, and our situations. The literal definition of the word of mental illness is someone that has a distorted view of the world. It would be like me taking Brother Terry's glasses, putting them on, and, tr and trying to see the world through that lens. I'm not going to see things the way he sees them because I've had a different experience than he's had. And as I demonstrated a couple weeks ago it's with the sunglasses, it's the same thing. It's the view in which that people see. So when people are mentally ill, they have a distorted way of seeing the world. They believe a lot of things that are not always true. They're mostly not true about themselves, about people around them. The Greek word for strongholds is used figuratively of a false argument in which a person seeks shelter. So listen to this, where a person seeks shelter or a safe place to escape reality. If that isn't the very definition of what we do, but sometimes those places that we go to escape reality, if it's not based in truth, it's a distorted way of thinking. It's, it's not factual. It's a, so the fort, fortress that we're talking about here, or the stronghold, it's, just, it's, sim, it's a symbol. It's just a more powerful army could, just as a powerful army could pull down or destroy or demolish their opponent's fortress, so can a group of Holy Ghost-filled saints at the Church of Omaha knock down the strongholds of our own re human reasoning and destroy any and all lies and false arguments that the enemy has whispered into our ears. Strongholds are fortified by believing the false narratives that people tell themselves or, t or others tell them. They create pathways in their brain and their perceptions then override truth. Truth becomes whatever the lie is and suddenly the truth of God's word no longer matters nor is it believed. And just like an earthly army can destroy their oppositional fortresses, so can we knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and strongholds of what a father or what a mother or what an aunt or what a teacher or whoever it might be said to us. And we can destroy those. Those are false arguments. There are things that were said to us. A group of kids laughed at us. A parent said, you'll never amount to a hill of beans. A mother said, you are the worst thing that ever happened to me. All of those things, we've created beliefs in our brain around those things. But we don't have to believe those things anymore. When God filled us with his spirit, he filled us so that we can operate in the authority of God. So how do strongholds begin? I think my sister did a fabulous job last week kind of explaining the early stages. Um, strongholds in people's lives are there because of a violation of some sort, a trespass into the person's life from something that occurred at some point in their life. Perhaps from zero to five, that is, as we learned last week, that is when the very hard drive of our brains are 
hardwired. Um, teachers speak, so from five to six on, teachers speak death over us. A drug-addicted parent said or did some certain things at a young age. Developmental stages is that the world is about me. Everything is about me. So if something is happening around me, my parents are fighting, I'm not being taken care of. When we have their developmental stage, again, is the world revolves around them, so therefore they make it that, that it's because of them. They're somehow broken. It's because they're not worthy. They're unlovable. They make it mean all kinds of things because that is the perception of their brain at that time. That's what their brain understands about the world. It doesn't have a frontal lobe. The frontal lobe is not developed until you're about 25. The frontal lobe is when you can reason, when you can understand the bigger picture and you know, that's just dad drinking. That's just mom's way of dealing with life. When we're little, we make it mean that we're unlovable, that we're defective, we're broken. There cannot be a physical stronghold of the mind unless there has been a physical breach where something painful happens. And therefore, the enemy has used that pathway of pain to gain access to you from that point in time. Something happened that caused a pain or a dysfunction, that caused you enormous trauma, stress, or anxiety, feelings of hopelessness that brought on depression, worry, fear, panic. Think about a little kid that feels these, these things. They have no idea what to do with them. Their brain feels these real emotions very strongly. And so to make sense out of those emotions that they're feeling, they have to create some kind of a belief about that, and that is where the beliefs are formed. This does not mean that every situation will be like the one that you survived, but you might react the same way to situations that are completely different based on what happened. Think about PTSD. A man goes to war. He hears the bombs. He sees the bodies flying. He sees the arms and all of the things, and I'm not trying to be too dis... But think about the, what the brain sees. Ten years down the road, a firecracker goes off, and what does the brain tell them? That is a bomb. You, you need, there's a perceived threat now because their brain remembers the pain from that, that noise. The brain recorded, records all of those things. And all of a sudden, through, it brings it back, and the brain now believes that there's, there's a perceived threat when there is no threat. That's what we do. When our brains recorded things that happened to us when we were little, even 10, 11, 12, whatever the case might be, when there was an enormous amount of pain or whatever the case might be, the brain recorded that information and created a narrative and a story about that. That now we react in these ways 20, 30, 40 years down the road. I believe I mentioned last week that the structure of a stronghold is not an abstract thing that's just air in the brain. And I find it ironic since I've been doing some of this study stuff. This is one of my therapy books. And on it is the tree with the root system. And as I talked about last week, that a, when something occurs that's very painful, a seed at that point with the emotion attached to it is, is planted in the brain system. Many times if it's zero to five, we don't remember what that was. But if you are a, you know, a two-year-old, three-year-old, you're crying for your needs to be met, you soiled your pants, you're hungry, whatever the case might be, and those needs are not met, that brain is recording unmet needs. I can't trust the world. I can't trust my caregivers. 
And, and so I used to not understand how can a, somebody that's, you know, three months old remember. It's not, it's not conscious remembrance. It's what the brain was recording when needs aren't met or when that three-year-old or two-year-old automatically, pot, you know, accidentally potties in their pants and their parents shame them for that. Their brain, they feel shame. They don't necessarily remember it, but the brain does. And so the brain grabs that emotion and, it, and, and these things get planted in the brain. Then what starts happening is as the brain starts, you know, as you know, that kids' brains like explode with development, pathways start. And if you kind of look at this, this is kind of a picture of it. Actually, this is awesome. These are, these are actual neurons in the human brain. And so it's, the seed is sown, and these dendrites, as they're called, start growing. And so now the, the, the brain remembers the pain. It remembers the emotions. And then, like in, that I, the week that I explained, one of my primary core fears is of, of being embarrassed or being humiliated. I've lived 40 years with my brain protecting me from ever feeling embarrassed. So what does that mean? It means I, as you saw, <laughs> I sometimes trip over my words. I get very nervous, and I, I'm going to embarrass myself. And then what's going to happen? They're all going to laugh at me. This is what my brain is constantly telling me. If I go into staffing at work to talk about, you know, cl different client issues or whatever to get staffing on it, I have to have precise notes because I don't want to get in front of them and have my fellow therapist laugh at me. They've never laughed at me. But this is something that my brain tells me it's danger. It's a perceived threat. You have to watch everything you say. You've got to be careful because they're going to laugh at you. And so that is just one of many. So if you look at these things on what happens, they get planted and then they start growing. And then all of a sudden, because I felt humiliated and embarrassed, now I'm stupid. Now I'm incompetent. Now I'm incapable because my brain feels that strong emotion. So it tries to make sense out of it. The sense that my brain made was I'm stupid. So this dendrite starts growing. And guess what that becomes? That turns into a literal stronghold of the mind. Now, everything that, so, in, so when I talk to my husband, if I talk to my daughter, we went to a game in Kansas City this past summer, and I wore a baseball cap for the first time. I have, don't think I've worn one since then. It was a really hot day, and I put the baseball cap on, and I put my head down, and I was like, oh, my word, this thing has purpose. It blocks the sun. I, I was kind of being serious, kind of being humorous like I am. And Brooklyn looked at me, and she goes, yeah, Mom, that's kind of what they're for. A simple statement like that. Listen to the tone. What do you think my brain heard? She thinks I'm stupid. Oh, my initial, now, because I'm aware of this, I have done a lot of thought work and a lot of praying and a lot of whatever. I caught myself. My old self would have been, what do you think, I'm stupid? I didn't do that because my, I was able to put some space between her response and my response. And I thought, Shannon, Brooklyn is not saying you're stupid. Like, that's your, that's your own thoughts doing crazy things. There goes your brain again. And I was immediately able to stop that thought, and it went nowhere. But, that's, but this is what happens is these things grow in the brain, and they grow, and they grow. And what happens is every time an experience happens where you feel embarrassed, the trees so when I call the, the dendrites trees, it's not actual trees in the brain, but it's dendrites that look like trees. This is where our memories are stored. And we shape our brain with our thoughts about our perceptual world. So that interaction with Brooklyn 
there was like a limb that went, the, a dendrite in my brain, that, that core fear of humiliation, got, it literally changed the structure of it. It's these, these, you can see these with a microscope. These are not just abstract. We grow these in our brains with our thoughts, and this is where our memories are stored. The fortress the devil is building is in our brains. The enemy's game plan is to trick the child of God into believing all the lies of hell. Your mind is ground zero, and he wants to be the ruler of your mind. He cares more about building a kingdom in your mind than he does about building a kingdom in our city. Do you hear that? Because if he can get a group of people in this place that are all horrible thinkers or toxic thinkers, you know what's going to happen? How... how effective are we going to be for God? If, and, I, and I demonstrated this because it's powerful in that if I'm walking into my place of employment and I've gotten downcast and I'm broken and I'm defective and I'm no good and the world don't, I am not going to have one of those people that work with me come and say, Shannon, tell me more about this God of yours. If I feel that I'm a failure and, I'm just, and I carry that. So if he can get us to have these things in our brain full of fear of every kind, a fear of failure, a fear of defectiveness, a fear of helplessness, a fear of being abandoned, rejected. I mean, the, the list goes on and on. And many of us don't have just one. Many of us have several. And we've spent our whole lives, due to that fear, developing beliefs about that. And I will get to this in just a minute. But we as the, as the children of God, we have got to get to a place where if we are not a healthy church, if we are not healthy thinkers, and we're all at each other's throats and, and perceiving everything someone says as a threat, we're, gonna be, we, we're never going to grow the kingdom of God. But we've got to recognize that many times when we're offended by something or something hurts our feelings, I can tell you most of the time it was never intended to be that way. But it's our own brain telling us, Shannon, your daughter thinks you're stupid. My, and so we talked about this going home. I had never been honest with my family about that. And my poor daughter said, Mom, why did you never? No, I didn't mean you were to think you were stupid. Like if you would have heard her tripping all over herself. And she's like, and we have really as a family been working on what, you know, my husband has one or two or three. I have just one. Um, and I've, and I've been pretty transparent about that in our home. Because I'm sick of the stronghold that the enemy has had in our, in our home with these things, with these fears and such. And so, but I, as a church, if we don't recognize it, it's going to affect your marriage. It's going to affect when your spouse says something. There's going to be a conflict when there doesn't need to be conflict. And I have the ability to look at what my husband says to me and not make it mean something hurtful. God gave me a frontal lobe to think through what I make things mean. And I, when I was in my early 20s, I had bleeding ulcers. My sister will tell you, I had bleeding ulcers so bad. When they put a scope down my stomach, I had sores throughout my stomach. Because if there wasn't something to worry about, there was something to worry about because there was nothing to worry about. I mean, that is how bad my anxiety was. And I was coughing up dried blood at youth camp one year. And it, what a story that is. God miraculously healed me. But I am not here as somebody that just is a good thinker. I've had to learn how to be a good thinker. I've had to take my thoughts captive. I've had to question, is this truth or is this lies? Brick by brick, branch by branch, this fortress and stronghold is erected. You will never amount to anything. This is, this is what, the, you, these are the thoughts you're thinking because of, of, of core fear. And every one of these things grow these limbs, these, these dendrites get bigger and, and, and stronger. 
Your church will never grow. You will never be used like sister so-and-so. Your pastor thinks you're crazy. Your kids will never stay in the church. All the things, all the fears that the enemy and those thoughts grow. And the tree grows. And these dendrites grow. And then all of a sudden, think of the offenses that we have. When sometimes it's, be, it's not because there's been a true offense. It's because we haven't managed our mind. I have been sent here, I believe, by God, or I have been given a word by God to come after our thoughts. I ask that no one here think that I am speaking to the person sitting next to you or that your daughter or your mother or your friend or your neighbor or your husband. This is for me. This is for Pastor Powell. This is for Pastor Lucas. This is for Pastor Trevor. For Pastor Cole, I don't think he's here tonight. All of us. I don't care where we stand in life. This is for every one of us. And we have all got to get a hold of our minds. I have come to where the enemy has set his greatest sights, and that is in our minds. We need to get the victory. If we need victory in any area, guess where it is? It is between your ears. It is right here. And after experiencing, so after experiencing painful circumstances, the old slew foot begins to build his kingdom. This fortress, thought by thought, pain from pain, misunderstandings, dysfunction, or offenses of some kind. I don't care how put together that you look tonight, and you all look absolutely beautiful. But I don't care how strong your mask is. I don't care how beautiful you've made that mask look or what smell you put off when you walk into a room. We all have things in our lives that we hope and pray that no one ever finds out about. Be careful when offenses come because his pathway is through the pain of that offense and or dysfunction. And the process is the building of fortresses which are physical structures in your brain. Philippians 2, 5, and 6 says, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. The Bible says that we have to pull these strongholds down. We can't be passive. I talked about working at Madonna and walking into the patient's rooms. And my script was you can lay in that bed and do nothing. You do not have to do three hours of physical therapy that is meant to rehab your brain after your stroke. You can do that. You're an American citizen, and as of now, you have that choice. But that choice will cause you to be wheeled out of this hospital just like you were wheeled in here. Because it is neuroplasticity is the rewiring of the brain, and I believe that is God's gift to us to transform our minds. But we have to do the work. We want to lay and just say, I prayed and God healed my emotions, but then I went home and thought exactly the same way. We, it doesn't work that way. Just like when we come down and get the Holy Ghost, we get up and we still fight the flesh every day. We have to die daily. Our thoughts have to be taken captive every day. One offense to a next offense to a next offense. Take it captive and look at it and say, Do, is this worthy of offense? And I'm going to get into why I would say no. It is not. There's many reasons. So when we hear the scripture that says that we need to take these things stronghold that we need to take these things captive. The Bible says that we have to pull these strongholds down. This implies that they are above us. They get big. They get magnified in our brain. And what was something small now has become this massive high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. What is a high thing? A high thing is a thought that goes unchecked at the door of our minds. That's all it is. Now the high thing has been elevated, and instead of casting it down, you dwell on it. You meditate on it. Did Sister So-and-so really mean this or that? What, did, what was that? Or what did my husband mean? What was that all about? 
The thought takes over your spirit and your mind where you begin to believe it. You begin to desire it or become afraid of it, whatever the case might be. And then when that thought becomes a high thing and it begins to war against the truths of God's word. Thoughts become high things when you don't cast them down and send them back to hell where they came from. Demonic spirits whisper thoughts in your ear. And if you listen for any amount of time to any of it, you will begin to experience anxiety, anxiety attacks, breakdown after breakdown, depression, OCD, all because the enemy has convinced you that you are these things and these thoughts are you. And you are... that these are not from the enemy. Somehow we start believing that these things are my thoughts because they're truth from my world. But they're not from you. They're from the enemy. You are, the people might say that you're crazy, that you are just like your mama, that you have been affected by a generational curse of your parents or grandparents. These thoughts are not from you. They are from the enemy of your soul, the same enemy that has come to kill, to steal, and to destroy you and those that you love. This is the only place he has access to you. He's not going to jump out of your closet and go, rah. He's going to get in your mind. He's going to get in your thinking process. He's going to twist things. He's going to confuse you. If you don't rebuke it in Jesus' name, you release it to develop a kingdom in your spirit and in your mind. When we start thinking about something, a seed gets sown, and then we convince our brain that we are right. And once we are convinced that we are right about something, our mind is now open to all sorts of dangerous invasions. And I can't, guys, it's not just spiritually. This is CBT therapy. This is primarily what I do is I take the thoughts that people have and I take them to court and I say, is it true? Is it 100% true? It, 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 God knew what he was doing. The thoughts are now everyone hates me. No one likes me. I'm no use. I'm old. I'm young. I will never succeed here. Everyone is talking about me. No one is talking about me. It, it, you can't win. It's all in your thoughts. And, and, that's, and it starts in the thought life needs to be corrected and rebuked. The thought is not of God. That thought is not from my Savior. That did not come from God's word. Hebrews 4 and 12 says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the, to, the dividing of soul, uh, to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The word of God goes straight for your thought life. That's why you have to read your Bible. That's because God aims for your brain. Isaiah 26 and 3 says, Thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. If you want peace, why are you putting your Bible down and instead scrolling through Facebook for 12 hours a day? You are not going to have peace if you're doing that. You are not going to have peace if you're on the news channels. Trust me. You're going to be crazy. Crazy, cray-cray in the head. That's what those things do. If you want peace, you have got to give your mind to this peace speaker. His thoughts are peaceful. The word of God knows your thoughts and my thoughts, and the word goes to work for you. That's why it's hard to to stay discouraged when you stay in your Bible. Sooner or later, the word will start talking to you about what it is you are discouraged about because the word knows everything that you are thinking. That is why you can't just read self-help books. I am the queen of self-help books. Everyone knows that. But if that is my only modality of reading, I'm in trouble. Those books are written by well-intended men and women, but the Bible was written by a God who sees me in the dark. 
who sees the demons that circle my bed at night and tell me to commit suicide and tell me to, to harm myself and tell me that everybody in the church is against me and to tell me to leave my husband and tell me to forget all this God stuff because it's crazy. This is what those demons circling tell me, that I'm in trouble, that my world is fixing to end, that bad things are coming, the world is going crazy. God knows all of those things that are being whispered to you. And that's why he had the Holy Bible written so that when you are in the depths of despair and in depression and having panic attacks, you can open your Bible and realize that there is a God in heaven who does care about you and these things that you're going through. He knows what you're going through. He knows it. Trust him with it. The stronghold has to be pulled down, but the imaginations, you have to throw them down. There is a difference in pulling something down and casting it down. You will have to fight to pull your mind back. You can speak to it and rebuke it. It is work, rewiring of the brain or transforming the mind, whichever one you want to go with, is not easy. It is not passive work. It will not just come upon you. Yes, God will heal your emotions and all the things that all the wrongs that have been done to you. But you're going to have to get up off the, the, the floor of forgiveness and healing, and you're going to have to go home and take your thoughts captive. And if you don't do that, you're going to go right back into the same old routine of circling in the wilderness for 40 years because we kept one mindset that we refused to change. We have to change our thinking. Sometimes when hell gets something in our spirit, it's because we have allowed thoughts to drift in, and before long we start believing them. Driving down the road in this deep thought comes to you. That can be bad. Be careful of those thoughts and what they include. So we first take it captive. We must first know what it is that we are thinking about. Then we ask God, what does God think about me? Now armed with the truth of God's word, we rebuke that thought with it is written. But again, we have to know what is written before we can rebuke it with what is written. When the stronghold is being built inside of our brain, it become and it because it's not being rebuked. It's because we have allowed these thoughts to come. You might not have absolutely believed it, but you kind of ignored it and you didn't rebuke it. It just kind of goes there. You've got to rebuke it because you're going to the next day it's going to come again and then it might go away. And then a couple days later again and then pretty soon these thoughts are going to become intrusive. And then what was once just kind of knocking at the door now becomes much stronger. Yes, you might be in the car rebuking that thought and talking to God and saying, you know, the devil, I rebuke you in Jesus' name. And the person's going, are you weird? But you know what? That's okay. Who really is crazy are the ones who believe all those, those things and never rebuke them. So it's okay. If you're in your car, go ahead and rebuke it. A panic attack is simply a thought that becomes a high thing. A suicide attempt is simply a thought that becomes a high thing. An outburst of anger is simply a thought that becomes a high thing. You can blame your parents. I can blame my teachers and the students in my classroom or a pastor in the past. God wants to give you victory here tonight. The most important place that you can have victory, and that is in your thought life, on the inside of your brain. So these thoughts come and we don't believe them, but neither do we rebuke them. And because we don't rebuke them, they start to live in our spirit. Rebuking it says, you are not welcomed here, get out. When it's knocking, 
Get out. In the name of Jesus, I rebuke you. I do not have to believe that thought. That is not truth. That is a lie, and I rebuke you in Jesus' name. Silence says, I don't really believe you, but you can find a spot in my mind. And when we're silent with the enemy, he assumes that we agree with him. When your mind is under attack, we have to bring these high things into the obedience of God. We have to make our minds obey what we know to be true. We cannot stay silent when the attack of the enemy comes. He's fierce. We cannot be passive and just lay there and be like, okay, whatever it is. David talked back to Goliath. He said, I am taking you on in the name of the Lord. We have to speak out loud to the enemy and what we know to be true. We must put on the mind of Christ. What is the mind of Christ? That's things like that is not true. My son is going to be saved. My church does love me. That's not going to happen. I will not die. I'm not losing my mind. God does have a plan and a purpose for my life. My daughter will pray through. Suicide is not my only option. You must Speak back. The battlefield is in your brain. The battlefield is in our mind. We have talked tonight a great deal about what to do when the negative thoughts come. But what do you do, Sister Powell, to remove the strongholds that have been there since the time I was six years old? And I was in that first grade classroom and all the kids laughed at me. What do I do when I was five years old and my dad sexually molested me? That is not my story. What do you do when a parent spoke death over you and said you were, the, you, you were not something that they wanted, that, that, that you're here just because? What do you do? Some of us have been building these strongholds since we can, we, before we can even remember. How do we bring down something that has been built for years? Jeremiah 4.14 says, O Jerusalem, wash your heart from wickedness that you may be saved how long shall your evil thoughts lodge within you i believe that god is telling us tonight at the church of omaha that he wants to help us heal but we need to repent of some things we need to repent of the thoughts that we have allowed into our minds that we have allowed to take root and for allowing these strongholds to obtain real estate in our hearts and in our minds if you don't rebuke it you release it. And if you don't remove it, but to remove it, you've got to repent of it. Rebuking it is when it's at the front door of your mind and you have a thought pass you by and you say, in the name of Jesus, I rebuke you. And unless we do this, it will slip into our mind. You might not think anything more of it because you didn't act upon it. You didn't do anything. You didn't cuss anyone out or go crazy. But then a couple of weeks later, there it is again and again, and it just builds and it builds. And now rebuking it won't work because you can't cast out what you flirt with. You can't cast a devil out that you once invited in. You say, I'm going to kick the devil out. How are you going to kick the devil out when you open the door? With believing his lies. You can only keep him out if you don't let him in. But if you let him in, you need another source to get him out. You say, I'm going to kick the devil out, but again, you can't do that once he's in there. You are now kind of powerless on your own to do that. So rebuking him at this stage won't work, but repenting, repenting of it gets God involved and gets God inside of that stronghold. And when you repent 
of your sin, of believing the lies of the enemy, and you repent of your thoughts before God, God then can come into your mind, and the stronghold builder does not want to stay in your mind because there's something that our God brings in with him. It's a thought from another world, and that thought rids the thoughts of evil. So again, we've got to repent of those things first. Jeremiah 29 and 11 says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. When you have faith for something, when you hope for something that you think is your faith, that is actually not your faith at all. You know what it is? It is a thought from God. When you start to have faith for something, that is the will of God. That faith did not start in your mind and in your spirit. It's a thought that he had towards you that was going to give you an expected end, the end that you hoped for. So start thanking God for that thing that you're believing for because that little thing that you're believing for did not come from you. It came from God because he put that in your spirit to begin with. When you, what, it, what is that? What is God's thoughts toward us? I believe that my son is going to be saved. I believe my husband is going to pray through. I believe our church is going to grow. I believe my coworker is going to be saved. Whatever the case might be, those are thoughts from God that we have now replaced. God has a thought for your family and for your life. It's a thought from God. And when it comes to pass, you won't be able to say that your faith did it. It was his thought that manifested through your faith. If you don't respond to that, You've got something else building inside of your brain. When you start thinking thoughts like, well, I don't, I don't actually think that's going to happen or that's too far, that, that's, that's not, that won't happen. You, you will get to that. I'll tell you why you think it won't happen. It's because you've got a castle builder called doubt. Romans 12 and 2 says, And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Be ye transformed by the renewing or the renovation of your mind. When a house is renovated, what is the first thing you do? You tear down what's on the inside. The first thing is to demolish what has been previously built and tearing down walls that are in the way of the vision of what's to come. When God renews your mind, he has to first take out what was previously built by the enemy. He has to tear down the fortress. He has to bring down the distractions that you have focused on. Demolition is not comfortable. It means that we might have to go to someone and forgive them that hurt us. Or it might mean that we have to apologize that the, to the person that should be actually apologizing to us. But you don't know what they said or did, Sister Powell. You're right. I don't, and I'm sorry that those things happened. But I do know that you built a high thing out of it in your brain that doesn't affect that person, but instead it affects